Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here this morning. I hope everybody could find a space out there and didn't hit any potholes or anything bad. So I do have, I, I want to mention this before we get started. In the back on the tables, because our next uh, our next study, we're moving from James to 1 Peter. I do have blue books in the back on both tables, and those are the, the books for 1 Peter. Okay, so if we don't get there today, we'll probably get there next Sunday, and that's just so you can have them ahead of time. If anybody did need a book for James, even though we're finishing up, let me know. I do have some more, and I did leave one red one back there on both tables, just in case. All right, so when we left off last week, we were in chapter 5, and we're about ready. Let me just review verses 7 through 12 here. This is James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment or hypocrisy. So we were going to pick up with question number six here. And question number six is what three examples does James provide to encourage patience, our patience? If we look at the verses there, the who's the first one he mentions? The farmer, right? Yeah, the farmer. The farmer who waits patiently for the precious fruit of the earth. You can't expect to throw your seed down today and come back tomorrow and get tomatoes. It's just not going to happen. It's not the way it works. We have to have some patience. We have to do appropriate things. So then another example, the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, right? Especially you think of the prophets of old. They were speaking about things to come. Jesus didn't come for a long time. And then also, a third example mentioned the perseverance of Job and how all the things he went through. And, you know, sometimes we complain about how hard our life is and the things we go through. Probably none of us has gone through as much as Job did. And yet, uh, our life is, you know, not that hard. But it does show that we're rewarded at the end of our life. And Job was rewarded for going, for enduring, or I guess our patience and endurance is rewarded. That's probably the best way to say that. All right. So we're going to move on past that to the next verses. 
Looking at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. <clears throat> 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Pardon me. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So if we look at question seven, what does James encourage one to do when suffering? Pray, right? Call for the elders and pray. Or to pray when suffering, yes. To pray when suffering, sorry, I think I'm getting ahead, but to pray. And then when we're cheerful, what should we do then? Sing. Sing, Sing praises, right? And I, I would say we should probably sing praises anyway. I don't know of any time that singing praises has not cheered me up or lifted my spirits or made me feel better. Yes, Jim? Yes, our prayers should not just be, I mean, okay, pray when we're suffering. This should not just be for what we need, but it should be for our thankfulness, our gratefulness for what we have, for the blessings that we have, and that should be a daily thing, and our prayers for others. I mean, those things should be daily, all the time, but nonetheless, yeah. That's, in, that's important that we keep that, that line of communication with God open like that. Yes? said to pray for others and that's a little counterintuitive if we're suffering we're going to pray for ourselves because we're suffering we need help but praying for others even while we're suffering recognizing that others are suffering and have needs can help us to have some comfort recognizing we're all together that's right when we pray for others we can realize that can help us to realize that we're all in this life together and that we're not alone in our suffering everyone is suffering in some way we're all going through something so that's true. That's a good point. Christ on the cross as he was suffering, he prayed to the Father that he would forgive them for what they were doing. So, like he said, we can be suffering and somebody else is suffering and we can go to God for them too. Well, yeah, Jesus' example on the cross of praying that God would forgive those because they didn't know what they were doing. He was praying for others at a time where definitely I would have probably been praying for myself. I mean, it's just that would be a tough time to look at and pray for others. So that's an excellent example. Shirley? I think it's very important to pray for others. 
Because sometimes you might be so sick that you can't pray for yourself. So it would be very helpful to pray for that person. Right. Right, and sometimes people can't pray for themselves if, if they're so sick, if they were to be in a coma or something, so we should pray for them. Or they could have other things, but that's just one example that popped to mind. Yeah. Does anyone have anything else on that? I know for a fact that, that he does answer our prayers and stuff like that when we're praying for people. And I'm, I'm thinking about him. He's, uh, he... Sometimes answers our prayers or sometimes immediate. We we really we don't realize how close God is to us. I mean, he, he's right here. Right, God is right here I with mean, us. I kind of have a feeling he's off there someplace, but he's not. He's here. Right, he's here with us. The Lord is always near. He's with us all the time, and he's always. And when we do get that feeling sometimes that he's off away from us, that he's but not he here, but he is. And he does answer prayer, yes. And sometimes it is immediate. It's our prayer just has to be in, in his will, right? I mean, for that that's the thing. So I thought of something else too. Um, yes. We know that Paul suffered some infirmities and uh, one of the apostles could have healed him of that, but the Lord allowed him to suffer because in his suffering he could do more through his suffering than he could if he was more agile, probably, because he could uh, see he was dependent on God. Yeah, Paul was Paul was suffering some infirmity, whatever that may have been. But uh, but yeah, I see. How does how did he phrase that? He said, "My grace is sufficient for you." So it was, but it was to make sure that he would not become what possibly uh, I can't think of the right word too proud or too boastful that he would rely and acknowledge on you know rely on God and acknowledge God yes yeah a thorn in his side right I think that's probably why Luke traveled with him so much because he was a physician and uh, there was five times that Paul needed some help and that very well could be because Luke did travel with him and Luke was a was a doctor right so, yeah, so Luke traveled with him, and maybe that was to help him out if he had issues with that. So, if we look at question eight, then, unless anyone has anything else. Okay, question eight. So, what is one who is sick to do? I think this is where I jumped ahead earlier. Yes, ma'am. Right, call for the elders of the church, right? And then that leads us into question nine. I don't want to, but that, that's a pretty simple question. It says, what are they What are they to do then? Pray and anoint with oil, right? Yes, Pat. I know when uh, Larry was very, very sick and his uh, blood clots went from his legs to his lungs years ago, the first person I called was, Jim Klein, even though he wasn't my elder, he was close, and I right. needed somebody. Larry needed somebody, and he came right away. Well, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's and that's what uh, that's what you're supposed to do, right? You call for the elders, and maybe it's not your elder. Maybe you go to a congregation in another town that 
steal. It could be someone you know that's an elder. I'd still, I don't see any problem with that. Um, anointing with oil. So it says, pray over the sick, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Now I have, to my mind, I, I don't, to me, that just means to, to apply all. I don't know in what way that would necessarily be. We don't have a description of a definitive way of doing it, do we? I mean, there's the Old Testament reference to anointing with oil where they would put oil on their head, but even then, I'm not sure exactly how that was done. Um, Could it be a reference to doing what they might need to be done? Like... Doing what they need to be done in what way? If they they need something like entertainment stuff or food or whatever they need, and that could be various things that a person would need when they're sick. Oh well, I I don't know if it. I really took it to mean anointing with oil, actually using oil in some manner, but. Olive oil was a very common use in those days for many, many reasons. For sickness, it was also used. So oil was used for sickness in those days as well. Matt, uh, and then. Matt. I was thinking of uh, Psalms 23 where um, the shepherd was uh, telling that, well, the 23rd Psalm says, he anoints my head with oil. Right, he and anoints my head with oil. Sheep, you know, because when the shepherd went out with his staff, he probably had oil with him too, because a lot of times the sheep would get into the thickets and get maybe a, a sore on their head from digging around in there, and they had to have oil to hmm. clean it out. And so um, and the anointing of oil had some kind of properties in it, evidently. And today... Um, we have essential oils, and a lot of the essential oils are used for medicinal purposes now, like peppermint oil for headaches. We put across our foreheads. It helps relieve pain. Yeah, now sometimes, yeah, sometimes some oils are used in a, a medicinal way like that. That's true, and I don't know if they did a lot of that then. Did you have something, Matt? Yeah, I mean, just in line with the same idea that, that oil was commonly used at the time for broad broadly used as medicine. Um, I think that if we were to put that into our culture, I mean, yeah, we do, some, some do enjoy to use essential oils, which is, I guess, similar, but I, I think the concept is, you know, helping them, maybe uh, providing some medicine that they need, like uh, maybe they have a headache and you can bring them some Tylenol or, or chicken soup, right? That's kind of a remedy we think about. If you have a cold, maybe they enjoy some warm chicken soup to help so that would that would and that would kind of go back with what Shirley was saying, doing something that they need to help them and and get to do something for them. What I was going to say, the good Samaritan that found the poor man along the road that had been robbed and beaten up, he used oil to clean his wounds and plus things before he took him you know, to a place to stay. Okay. Okay. So they were using yeah neosporin. So they were using oil medicinally. Do you have something else, Shirley? So, and there is, if we look at the next question, which 
they have a whole long thing I'm not going to get into here, but it says, is anointing with oil sacramental or medicinal? We're kind of getting into that a little bit where um, that's a question. Maybe it's both. And that's what I wondered if maybe that was both. That's the way I always looked at it myself. Because we would use medicine, but I would certainly walk like if I was sick. I would use medicine, but at the same time, I would welcome any prayers. <laughs> you know, I would also welcome God's intervention and power. So, yes, Pat. I think we have to be careful with that because we see that some of the denominations use that as a sacramental thing. And uh, we have to be very careful what we're saying. <laughs> I, I don't understand. Sacramental of what? Well, the Catholics use uh, oil. Right. Yeah, I don't know their practice. I don't know their practice, so I can't really speak to that. Um, I just know what he's saying here, and and we know what somewhat what they did in the Bible. Yes, Matt. Wonder if the next question at verse fifteen maybe put a bow on that um, as far as the nature is the sacramental, right? That's the question. So verse fifteen says the prayer of faith will save one who's sick, and that's the question. What will what will save or heal the sick. It's not so much the the, um, the olive oil that they're using to treat their wounds uh, or the chicken soup, but it's the prayer. It's the fact that we're praying and God's working in all those things. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what I mean. Was that the the prayer? The prayer is the sac is to me the important spiritual part of it, and that the oil to me represents. Well, in some ways, it represents the presence of God in a physical way. Um, it uh, it is more. It would be more medicinal since it's more of a. It's more of an earthly thing, so. But in the end, God heals us. Right, He made everything work the way it does. Even if even if you say the body heals itself, well, that's only because of God. There's no other way. I, I mean, that's the way. That's the way it works in my mind, anyway. It all comes back to Him. Yes, Over. I've never. I never actually did that, but I was in the hospital with my uncle, and, and I seen it actually done. So I would see uh, no reason, especially the prayer, the prayer part, and for the rest of it. I, but I have seen it done. But, uh, well, you know, a uh, a hug could be as medicinal as. Uh, is you know doing doing actually doing something for someone, and and I'd say that they the the oil of doing that would be like you would if someone is feeling bad and you give them a hug. It's 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 uh, right. That can be. It's a healing thing. Even just giving someone a hug when they need it can be can be medicinal too in a way that can. Absolutely. boost their spirits and help them but but you've seen that done you didn't see anything wrong with them doing it especially the prayer right that's what you were getting at so and, and as a nurse I had the I I had called priesthood for last right mm. not that I believed in last right but um, it was the patient that needed and the priest did come in, he had some oil, but what kind of oil? 
Oh, yeah, I don't know what kind of oil they use either. I would assume it'd be some form of olive oil, right? But I don't know that. It could no, be something special. They would, they would tell you what kind of oil they yeah. either. Yeah. You could buy a sweet oil. I'm not sure. I think it has an olive base, but I, I'm not sure. Oh, well, I don't know. I'm just... Uh, when the three wise men, well, we don't know many wise men there. <laughs> when the wise men came to uh, see Jesus as a child, um, they all, one of them offered up myrrh, which is an oil, I believe, from a special oh, okay. tree. And, uh, and then we see in the Bible, too, where one of the ladies uh, anointed Jesus with oil and washed his feet with her hair. Right. Now, she did anoint his feet with oil, and you, like you said, used her hair. Um, and that was that was that was special, and I'm not sure. Did it say what kind of oil she used on that? No. Y'all, like I. Oh, okay, okay. All right. And there was another time. What didn't someone anoint his head with oil as well? Well, yeah, and I think one of them um, so. shed tears and washed his feet with her tears and her hair. So, but those are. Those are examples we have. We don't always know, you know, all the details, but in that case, that's different. Did you have something, Jim? I just wanted to say we don't need to read more into this passage than what is stated here, but we need to follow it because it's the Word of God presented by Peter. I have done this, but uh, it depends on what the individual is wanting sometimes, too. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. There, well, yeah, this is James, but yeah, still, still, James is saying it for a reason, and this is something that they did. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. So yeah, we don't need to read a lot into it. It was just a question they had here, you know, how you look at it. But um, I, I kind of agree with the uh, Mr. Copeland who did the workbook here. Who uh, his his last phrase that kind of sums that up is says it's it's evident that James is prescribing prayer and medicine or earthly comfort or whatever we can do for someone so that makes sense and if we do move on to question eleven then what will save or heal the sick we kind of talked about that and he mentions the prayer of faith I'm sorry oh sorry. And then uh, the second one, who will raise him up? We, we mentioned that as well. The Lord, right? Yeah, so it's the Lord will raise him up. It's not going to be uh, necessarily us or anything like that. So then if we move to question number 12, what if the one who is sick has committed sins? Confess your uh, sins to one another in a prayer of faith, raise you up, and you may be healed. Right. I make confession and the prayer of, with each other that does what God meant for it to do, and that's forgiveness. Right, and that's actually in the next verse, but in verse 15, he says that the person will be forgiven, right, if they've committed sins. So, but yeah, but that's right. She she was answering she was answering question thirteen. What are Christians to do? 
you know, confess sins to one another and pray for one another that they will be healed. Yes, Matt. And it might even go back to verse 13 where this is introduced by, you know, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing. Well, I mean, if you're suffering and praying, you know you have sins, you should be praying for forgiveness, and that may be all part of the context here. Right. I think all this does tie back together to the singing and the praying because this, well, this is all about praying really in a lot of ways. Yes, Jim. 16 says to confess your sins. If, if you got sins you need to confess, then you confess them. And then you prayed for and they're forgiven at that point. Without confession. Well, the original thing was in verse 15. If you look back at verse 15, hold on a second. It says, uh, when, you're, when they're calling the elders and they'll pray over him and the prayer of faith will save the sick, the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So in that case, that was specifically really about someone who was sick and calling on the elders. They could even be possibly incapacitated like had been mentioned. But then 16 kind of moves on telling us all to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Does that make sense? So there's, I don't think that's out of agreement with each other. I think that's in agreement. It's just that the one in verse 15 is still referring to someone who's called on the elders because they're, they're sick. So that question was really about that person. And then 16, question 13, is really to do with verse 16, which was we should confess our prayers to one, uh, <laughs> confess our sins to one another, our trespasses. that they may be healed. Does anybody have anything else on that? So, question 14. What avails much? We're staying with our theme. Fervent prayer of a righteous person. Says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man. And then... Who did they give as an illustration of this? Elijah, Elijah right? And I'm not going to read it, but you can look back at 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 for that whole story where Elijah uh, prays and ends the rain, or stops the rain, or however you want to say that, and then later prays and has the rain continue again. For three years, I can't, yeah, that's, I know, that's, that's a big deal. It's, it's hard for us to think about that, but that's, that's what he did. His prayers were answered, but look how long it took. His prayer. I'm sorry, what? Three years and six months. Three years and six months, yeah. So, yeah, his prayer was effective, and, uh, the prayer, especially to bring the rain, took just a little bit of time at least. Because remember, he had to send somebody to look for a cloud and all that. I read that, but I don't remember like every little detail right now. But So if we look at question 15, unless anyone has anything else on that. What happens when one turns a sinner from the error of his way? Right. You save a soul from death, right? 
Because that's how we should that's how we should look at everybody that is unsaved. Is they're a soul that needs to be saved from death. They're like in the on the precipice. They're falling off the edge into the chasm. However you want to think of it. It's, I'm trying to think of like a a way to just you know it's something that's urgent that's needed. Sometimes I think maybe we lose that. But also, um, yes, did you have something? Oh, I was just thinking that this whole section kind of bounces between the idea of how we ought, you know, we ought to confess our sins. And as John says, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But there's also this community idea that we should confess our sins to one another, we should pray for one another, and mm-hmm. that that's all wrapped up together for us to help each other. Right. This is all... <laughs> It is all a community effort, really, if you think about it, because they're, they're talking about the elders confessing to one another, praying for one another. So, yes, it is. This is a lot about our community as a congregation and as the church as a whole. And the second part of this question was a multitude of sins is covered. Right? Now, I had my own little question on this, and I'm just curious to hear... It says a multitude of sins are covered. Whose sins are covered? I think both people. Okay, both people. That's okay. Because when I read it, it doesn't say specifically. So I'm just wondering. I just, you know. Well, I think when you're trying to teach somebody else to become a Christian, you reflect on yourself. Because, you know, you can't teach somebody else if you don't have yourself right in the sight of the Lord. And so you have to get yourself right before you teach somebody else. So I think that's what it means. I'm sure it's beneficial to both. I, I, I have no doubt of that. I, I, but I was just curious if anyone had anything. Matt? I guess I just look at it simpler and more straightforward. That There's a sinner who's, who's specified here, right? Verse mm-hmm. 20. Whoever brings back the sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover multiple sins of so the sins of the sinner. And and that was my first thought when I read it too is like that's just a very basic understanding. But I do believe it's still beneficial for the other person, but yeah, yeah. I understand what you mean. Because that is the most basic, straightforward uh thing. But it it's not as specific and I've I've kind of heard different things, but I just was curious, you know, what everybody read that, how they read that, so all right, so that is, unless anyone has anything else on James that we need to discuss, that is the end of uh, chapter 5. And we got a few minutes here. Now the blue books in the back are uh, for First Peter, which we're going to start. And we'll go ahead and just get into... Maybe we'll get into the introduction here for just a few minutes. I'll try not to drive you crazy. But some of the introduction information is interesting and can be helpful. As we know, 1 Peter was written by Peter, right? And uh, they have various uh, confirmation here where they talk about that, and I'm, I'm okay with all of that. Uh, Peter was assisted by Silvanus, also known as Silas. I'm just going to try to cover some of this. Uh, the recipients, or the intended audience you might think of, were the pilgrims of the dispersion. That is uh, the phrase that Peter uses. And 
that could be used to describe the Israelites who had been scattered following the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities. But due to, uh, I think, another phrase or two, the way Peter says that, he also believes it uh, applies to Christians in that general area in those different places. So, and we'll get into we'll get into some of those things. Let's see. So, and there is a theme that you know, of course, in the Bible, that we are pilgrims, we are sojourners here, right? We're this is not our home. So, Peter continues with that theme. Now, the time and place of the writing, the time doing the doing their best, favoring people who are more historically accurate than me. Think about 63 to 64 AD. So I don't know. I'll go with the experts on that. But Peter says that he wrote this from Babylon. And there's a little discussion on that that you can have because did that mean maybe he was writing from Rome or Jerusalem or just anywhere that was um, maybe against Christianity or against Christians? Intolerant of us, you might say. And then the purpose of the letter, let's see, let's get down here. The purpose of the letter, basically, to encourage the steadfastness in the face of persecution, to remind them of their special privilege as God's holy nation, and to instruct them as to their proper conduct, because you must have practical instruction, right? And then the theme, conduct becoming the people of God, and he lists these key verses here. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. And then you can look at their, their outline here. <laughs> talking about the first part of it, about our salvation and then our duties in Christ. And the, uh, the first part of it is shorter than the rest. So, All right, so I guess we're out of time for this morning. So I'm going to stop here and we'll pick up with some of these uh, questions and stuff on the introduction to 1 Peter next week, okay? Thank you for your time and your attention.